slowly come back to normal. And um, yeah, so why don't we uh, why don't we pray together before we um, dive into our sermon today? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much that we are able to uh, to gather once again um, and to worship you and also and in person as well. For some of us, uh, we thank you that. Uh, yeah, we recognize that uh, this is such a blessing and a privilege to be able to do that, Lord. And we pray that as we uh, study your word now, that you would uh, speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that uh, you would really um, convict us in our hearts of, um, of your truth and help us to, uh, to, to learn uh, what you want us to learn. And in doing that, uh, come to know you more and to love you more. Lord. So we give you this time and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like Sam said, we will be continuing with Amos chapter four today. Um, so why don't we read through the passage together? So if you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you get that out? Or if you have your Bibles on your phone, um, let's go through the passage together. And um, I will be reading from the ESV version uh, for your reference. So Amos chapter four. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Haman, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts is his name. 
So before we kind of dive into this chapter, I think it'll be helpful to have a quick recap of what's been happening so far. It's been a couple of weeks since we last looked at uh, Amos. Um, so Amos, uh, who is a, a, a shepherd or a herdsman, um, he's been sent by God to speak to the people of Israel. Um, in the opening chapters, we see that um, God has pronounced uh, judgment on Israel's enemies. Um, and then later on in chapter two, we see that God has also pronounced judgment uh, on Judah and on Israel as punishment for their transgressions. So for the land of Israel um, at that time, um, this was actually a time of wealth and of affluence. Uh, it was also a time of uh, political strength and national stability. So everything seems to be going well. And yet here's this guy, Amos, uh, proclaiming God's judgment upon them. Uh, so this is because uh, despite initial appearances, there's actually a lot that is wrong. Yes, there was wealth and riches, uh, but not for everyone. We will read later on that the rich had multiple houses and expensive furniture, while the poor were often oppressed and shamelessly exploited. Uh, Money-making and personal gain was the number one priority and of every man for himself. It's all about the profit margin. And if you think about it, it it's quite similar to the society that we live in today. Uh, in many places around the world, there is such a huge gap between the rich uh, and the poor. Um, although there is, you could say there's more awareness around this issue, uh, nothing much has really changed. Um, I was reading, I read an article just the other day um, talking about how the pandemic has impacted Hong Kong. Um, so because of the pandemic and because of the um, effects of it and everything having to Lots of places have closed down, unemployment rose. Um, uh, the economic recession in, in Hong Kong last year was actually the worst that it's ever been. And yet at the same time, the number of multimillionaires in Hong Kong actually rose to a record high. We know that the roles and regulations of society are often highly influenced by those with wealth and power. Uh, such that um, they result in them staying wealthy and, and staying powerful um, while the poor and the minorities are often um, ignored. So at the end of the day, the rich get richer and the poor just gets poorer. Like the society in Amos's day, uh, it's a society that is built on greed and only focused on personal gain. So throughout the book of Amos, uh, we see that um, God pronounces judgment uh, on, on things and people in the society that um, he sees that are going wrong. And, and continuing uh, in this chapter today, um, Amos uh, pronounces judgment uh, on the rich and the wealthy of society, uh, more specifically to the wealthy women of Israel in these opening verses. Um, so these are the kind of the upper class, the high society types. Um, these are kind of women who live a life of glamour and parties, following the latest fashions and trends. Uh, if you, to reference the American TV show, you could say that these are the real housewives of Israel. So as I'm reading this, I'm kind of imagining this scene uh, in my head where it's kind of like 
a really lavish party, everyone's dressed in the finest clothes, and yet this random guy, Amos, manages to sneak past security, climbs on stage, grabs the mic. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Pretty funny, in my opinion, if it wasn't for the fact that he's, his message is entirely serious. He's, he's not joking at all. Uh, he's saying, you who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you where you will be taken away with hooks, cast into exile by your enemies. And the walls that you thought would protect you would be breached and destroyed. God will punish you, not for your riches per se, not because you are rich, but because of how you obtained them. And this is a message that I'm sure is still very relevant to, to, to us and to, to many people around the world today. And the seriousness of this message is emphasized by the fact that God has sworn by his holiness that this will happen. Holiness is what makes God who he is. Uh, it is the nature of God himself, and it's what sets him apart uh, from us and anything else that claims to be God. So when we see the holiness of God uh, being invoked in an oath, uh, he is putting his divine character at stake, uh, communicating to us in the most powerful way that what he says is indeed the will of God. So now we might think from reading this passage that uh, the people had completely forgotten about God, uh, but actually this is far from it. Uh, in fact, the religious centers at Bethel, at Gilgal, uh, were packed with worshipers offering uh, sacrifices and tithes on a regular basis. Uh, but yet, this veil of outward devotion is only, uh, only serves to mask hearts that are utterly self-serving. By bringing their sacrifices every day and tithing every three days, they were actually going beyond what the law required. These people were operating with a, a tit-for-tat mindset, so to speak. Uh, they think that, oh, the more I give to God, the more God will bless me and, and reward me in return. Um, so you can almost hear the sarcasm in Amos's voice uh, when he says, oh, come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Uh, the NIV says, go to Bethel and sin, go to Gilgal and sin yet more. So he's mocking them. Uh, he's saying, uh, sure, bring your sacrifices, bring your offerings, and in doing so, multiply your sin even more. Not only do their sacrifices and offerings fail to bring forgiveness of sin, but they actually add to their sinfulness before God. The heart of the, the people is further exposed in verse 5. Uh, Proclaim free will offerings, publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel. Amos points out that the motivation uh, for these sacrifices and offerings are purely from a selfish desire to appear pious or to appear holy before people. Look at me. Look how much I'm giving. Look how devoted I am. It is completely for show. They are honoring themselves rather than God. So Charles Spurgeon, uh, who is an English preacher, 
uh, oftentimes he's known as the prince of preachers. Uh, he said this, I loathe to hear our true Lord praised by false lips. They deny the doctrines which he taught and yet pray about believing him. It is a shallow trick, but yet it deceives shallow souls. There are those who claim to be followers of Christ, but they deny the things that Christ taught. So this brings us to um, our first takeaway for today. Hopefully this should show up on the screen. Yep. Acts of worship without obedience is empty worship. Acts of worship without obedience is empty worship. We may profess to love God. We may attend church every week. But if in our everyday lives, we are not living in obedience to God, then all the worship we give is but empty worship. And this is something that we can all easily fall into. Uh, we feel good about going to church, uh, about doing our daily devotionals. Uh, these become items in our checklist of things to do. And once it's done, uh, it's out of the way, right? Uh, there are quite a few mornings where I've woken up late and I've ended up kind of skim reading or speed reading my devotional uh, on the train uh, on the way to work. I tell myself that I've done it. I've read the Bible for the day. I've done my devotional. Um, but I know that nothing has actually sunk in and now have forgotten what I read in the next five minutes. Like the people of Israel, uh, we sometimes forget that God is a real living God and not a genie or a vending machine that, that grants our wishes whenever we want. And when things in life are, are going well, uh, we deceive ourselves into thinking that uh, we are okay with God and that God is okay with the way that we are living. Even when we've accepted that we've sinned, uh, we as um, humans all have this, um, call it a superpower if you want, but we all have this extraordinary ability to find ways to excuse ourselves, to rationalize or to downplay our sins uh, such that uh, we would avoid true repentance. Uh, the Puritan uh, Richard Sibbs, uh, who was an Anglican, the Anglican theologian in the 1600s, um, he said this, it is a very hard thing to bring a dull and evasive heart to cry with feeling for mercy. Our hearts, like criminals, until they be beaten from all evasions, never cry for the mercy of the judge. When it comes to owning our own sin, we are fiercely stubborn and we will find whatever way we can to avoid it. And so it was for the people of Israel. Later on in chapter seven, uh, we'll read of the response of the priest of Bethel to Amos's message. Uh, essentially what he says is, I don't believe you Amos, shut up and go away. I don't want to listen to you anymore. But his rejection of Amos's message uh, doesn't make it any less true. And our unwillingness to own our sin doesn't make us any less guilty. But the good news for us is that God knows all of this and yet he still chooses to love us. It's not like he's just sitting there 
and looking forward today where he can rain down judgment upon us. No, that's not who he is um, and his core. Um, he is a merciful God. Uh, it is his nature and his disposition uh, to show mercy. Uh, it is his heart and his desire uh, for all of us to return to him. And we can see this in verses um, 6 to 11. God is actively calling his people uh, to repent through his sovereign control of the natural world. He declares that he is the one who caused all of these things to happen. I sent a famine upon the land and withheld rain, and yet you did not return to me. I struck your gardens and vineyards with, with blight and locusts and pestilence, yet you did not return to me. I killed your young men with the sword and overthrew some of you, yet you did not return to me. God is saying, these things did not happen by coincidence. I am responsible. I made these things happen to you. I gave you chance after chance, yet you did not return to me. In his divine mercy, God had sent warning after warning, but to no avail. And so five times Amos repeats this phrase, yet you did not return to me, placing the responsibility squarely on the people for their, for their own fate. It's funny because that you'd think that as God's people, right? They would understand that God is the one who's in charge uh, or, the, or at the very least when things were not going well and when they were experiencing all of these things, they would know to seek God. Given what God has done um, throughout their history, um, it seems a little bit surprising perhaps that um, they did not do that. Or is it though? Uh, because throughout the Old Testament, throughout the history of Israel, uh, we can see uh, the people's repeated uh, stubborn refusal uh, to stay faithful to God, despite the multitude of things that God has done for them. So when I read the Old Testament, um, I often find myself wondering uh, whether I would have responded or behaved in the same way as the Israelites did. A part of me feels like, oh, had I kind of witnessed the 10 plagues in Egypt, or that if I've and I walked through the Red Sea as the waters parted before me, or had I tasted the bread that fell from the sky, or seen how um, armies were defeated by God against all odds. If I had experienced all of these things and more, I would not have been like the Israelites, and I would have stayed faithful to God. But I think deep down, I know that I'm no different to them. I'm no better. I may not have experienced um, the miracles in the Old Testament the way that they did. Um, but I know enough to understand and recognize the blessings and miracles that um, that God has, has placed in my own life, uh, with the biggest being um, the fact that he has chosen me to follow him. In his divine grace, he has called me to faith. In spite of this, in spite of knowing all of this, there have been countless times throughout my life where I've knowingly disobeyed God in my words, in my actions, in the choices that I've made. And yet, as I look back, I see that God has always been faithful to me, even when I've not been faithful to him. And it is precisely because of God's mercy and grace in that he does not punish us immediately the moment that we sin, 
that cause us to take his grace for granted. Our hearts naturally drift away from God when life is going good well, and we are so easily enticed by the things of this world that God is often kind of pushed to the back of our minds. We try to justify and rationalize our sinful behavior. Oh, just a little bit won't hurt. Oh, it's just this once, it's a one-off thing, so it's no big deal. We presume upon God's grace when we knowingly go against him. We take his grace for granted. So it, it really astounds me when I read, when I read uh, the Old Testament and I see God's patience and mercy towards his own people. Um, they've rebelled against God so many times, such that I think if it was up to me, if I was God, I would have just kind of let them die in their own sin. But we read that God in his love repeatedly calls them back and he does not disown them. But the problem with the Israelites uh, and with us today uh, is that most of the time we are completely deaf to God's call. We are either choosing not to hear him in our rebellion or we have become so caught up in the world and so desensitized to God's voice that, that we cannot hear him at all. But instead of giving up on us, God kind of ups the ante, he turns it up a notch to try and catch our attention. And sometimes this can be through the pain and the suffering that we experience on earth. This is because pain and suffering uh, is not something that we can simply ignore. Uh, they disrupt our lives, they derail all of our plans. Uh, everything else takes a back seat. Uh, C.S. Lewis, as I'm sure a lot of you would have um, heard or read about, he, he wrote in his book, The Problem of Pain. Uh, he says that pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us, to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He's saying that God uses the pain that we experience uh, to catch our attention. Uh, it's his megaphone to, to rouse a deaf world, to, to, to wake up a world that is deaf to his voice. When functioning as it should, pain protects us. When we burn our fingers on the stove, pain tells us to pull it back. When we sprain our ankle, pain tells us to stop running to prevent further injury. Pain is our body's way of telling us that something is wrong and that we should stop whatever we're doing that co that's causing it. So when we experience pain in our lives, don't simply ignore it or try to get out of it as fast as possible, uh, but instead seek God. Although some pain stems from the fact that we live in, in a fallen and sinful world, uh, in other cases, it could be God's way of, of calling us. Uh, he's saying, wake up, come back to me. Don't carry on down this path that you're on. And so here's my uh, second point. Seek God in your pain. Don't be deaf to his voice. I know that sometimes we don't know uh, the reasoning behind God sending us pain. We don't know why. Uh, but it is always appropriate to, to reflect and examine our lives in these seasons of pain and difficulty uh, to see if God is calling us or if there is anything that we need to repent for. 
turn to God, seek him. If you are already walking with God, then you will find comfort for your pain. If you have strayed away from him, then you will find mercy and forgiveness. Either case, seek God in your pain. Don't be deaf to his voice. Unfortunately, in the case of the Israelites in this chapter, uh, we see that they did not return to God despite uh, the many warnings that they received. And so in verse 12, Amos proclaims an impending uh, final judgment upon them. He says, therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. So this passage does not um, elaborate on what this uh, judgment will be. Uh, some scholars say it could be referring to a, their further exile in the future, but, but we're not sure. Um, in, in any case, the ambiguity actually makes it seem uh, more ominous. God is saying, you did not listen to me when I first called. I shouted louder and louder, and yet you did not return to me. Therefore, prepare to meet your fate. Prepare to meet your God. This is a scary thought. And Amos adds to this by reminding the people of who God is in verse 13, that God is sovereign, that he is the one who forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, uh, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. This is who God is. He is the all-knowing, all-powerful God, and he is coming to judge you. In his perfect holiness, God is the ultimate benchmark of what is right and wrong. And we will all one day be judged. Romans 14 says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. When Christ returns, we will all have to give an account of ourselves. Then there will be no denying of God. Everything we've ever done, whether good or bad, will be laid bare in front of him. Many of you will be familiar with the story where uh, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments on, on Mount Sinai. Um, and so in Exodus chapter 19, uh, just before God descends in a cloud on top of the mountain to speak to Moses. Um, he tells Moses to, to consecrate uh, the, the people and set limits around the mountain um, so that the people could not even touch the edge of it. If either man or beast touches the mountain, they will die. And later on in Exodus uh, 33, uh, when Moses asks uh, if he could see God, um, God replies, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So in both of these episodes, we may feel that um, God is being a little bit extreme or that he's a little bit extra, a little bit overdramatic. Right? It's just a mountain, right? What's the big deal if I touch it? But what we need to understand is that in, in both of these passages, uh, God is revealing to us uh, his holy nature. He is perfectly holy, 
perfectly good. Uh, there is not a single flaw or blemish to be found in him. He is set apart from everything else in his perfection. And so there cannot be even a hint of sin or impurity in his presence. Uh, his holiness is something that he naturally emanates uh, because it's who he is. And it's so overwhelming that nothing short of perfection can stand in his presence. This tells us that there is such a big divide between God and us. In our fallen and sinful nature, who can stand before God? Who is acceptable in his sight? Luckily for us, God knows this and, and he loves us and he has found a way uh, for us to, uh, to be reconciled to him. And this is the joy and the beauty of the gospel. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, he wrote this. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. In his divine mercy and grace, God has sent his son Jesus to die for us, to pay the penalty of our sins once for all, so that we may be counted righteous before God and be reconciled to him. This is what we celebrate uh, in Easter. Jesus uh, has, is that bridge uh, between God and us. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 um, says this quite clearly. He says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So the question is, are you prepared to meet your God? Yes, putting your faith in, in God doesn't mean that we will stop sinning immediately. Uh, we will continue to sin while we're on this earth. Um, last week, I was actually uh, talking to a friend. Um, he, I would say he is a relatively new Christian. Uh, so he had um, a few questions uh, regarding kind of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to believe in God and, and have faith and, and all of that stuff. Um, so he was saying that it would be easy to live as a Christian um, once we came to faith, right? He was, he was asking, um, because we have to live in obedience to God, we have to live lives that are in accordance to God's way. Once we believe, it would become automatic. Um, but I was thinking about it, and, and, my, and my answer to him was, actually, no, I don't think it would be easy. I don't think it would be automatic. Um, because as Christians, uh, what, once, we have, once we come to know God, we know what he likes, what he dislikes, uh, what is, uh, what is uh, considered right in his eyes. Uh, and then we find out that pretty much all of God's ways will contradict the ways of the world. It means that a lot of times we have to go against what is considered right or what is considered normal in society. And we may, and we may even have to go against our, uh, our human desires because we are by nature fallen and sinful. And hence we would have uh, desires that are contrary to God, what God desires. So in fact, we have to deny ourselves. We have to um, be different from the world. And a lot of times this is difficult. So as such, it means that as believers, 
we are committed to living in a way uh, as much as possible that reflects our faith and that is in obedience to God in a way that pleases him and yet at the same time trusting that the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross will be enough to cover our sins. And so this means that a posture or an attitude of repentance is something that should be a constant part of our lives. Uh, we keep sinning and, and we fall short, even when we tell ourselves we won't again. So we need to be diligent in examining our lives. We need to be honest with ourselves. Is there sin in your life? Have you walked away from God? Then repent and return to him. Don't try to justify your sins. Confess them and ask for forgiveness. Uh, 1 John chapter 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no limit to the number of times that God will forgive us if in our hearts we truly repent and return to him. His mercy will never run out. So here's my final point. Prepare yourself. Keep repenting and keep returning to God. Prepare yourself. Keep repenting and keep returning to God. Uh, in Acts uh, chapter 17, um, it says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God has appointed a day when Jesus will return to judge the world. For those who put their faith in him, it will be a day of joy and celebration as we meet our God. But for the rebellious, for the unrepentant, God will cast them into hell in his divine justice. So let me close with a quote uh, from Jonathan Edwards, who's a famous American preacher. Um, it's a little bit long, uh, but I think it, it's worth it and it captures the sentiment very well. Um, I'm gonna put it up on the screen in a moment. So he wrote that uh, many unrepentant sinners, when eventually they find themselves in hell, they will say this, No, I never intended to come here. I had laid out matters otherwise in my mind. I thought I should contrive well for myself. I thought my scheme good. I intended to take effectual care, but it came upon me unexpected. I did not look for it at that time. And in that manner, it came as a thief. Death outwitted me. God's wrath was too quick for me. Oh, my cursed foolishness. I was flattering myself and pleasing myself with vague dreams of what I would do hereafter. And when I was saying peace and safety, then suddenly death and destruction rained down upon me. Are you prepared to meet your God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your, for your word that we can come together as your people, as one people, uh, 
uh, even across different countries to, to worship you and to study your word, Lord. We thank you for your redeeming work on the cross uh, through your son, Jesus Christ, as we celebrate um, this Easter season, Lord. And we thank you for your, for your patience and for your mercy, Lord, that despite our many failings and our repeated uh, sins and, and, and unfaithfulness, Lord, that you are always faithful and that you are merciful, Lord, uh, so much more than we can even imagine and, and understand. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and for sending your son, Jesus Christ, that we may um, through him be reconciled to you, Lord. So we confess our sins before you, Lord. Whether we've sinned intentionally or unintentionally, Lord, we pray and we ask for your forgiveness. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, in our lives we would, we would be, um, that through your spirit, we would be able to live lives that are glorifying to you. That, are, that is in obedience to you in ways that pleases you, that, uh, and, and that we would be a, a good testimony in the way that we live, Lord, such that uh, more and more people would come to know you and to, and to see you through the way that we live, Lord. So we pray um, that you would help us to do that, strengthen us in our moments of weakness, uh, in our moments of uh, temptation, help us not to succumb, but instead turn and seek you, Lord. In our moments of pain, uh, give us comfort and peace. Uh, help us to know uh, deep down in our hearts that that you are in control, and that and that you love us, and that yeah, and that we would eventually uh, uh, be reunited with you, Lord. So help us to know uh, this truth and help us remember it. And we pray for your blessing as we as we go about our lives this week, Lord. So we thank you for your word and for this time. And we love you, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.